Chapter Forty Five of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell. Chapter Forty Five Enclosing of Fossils in Peat, Brown Sand, and Volcanic Ejections. Division of the Subject embedding of organic remains in deposits on emerged land, growth of peat, site of ancient forests in Europe now occupied by peat, bog iron ore, preservation of animal substances in peat, miring of quadrupeds, bursting of the Solway moss, great dismissal swamp, embedding of organic bodies and human remains in blown sand, moving sands of African deserts, to look on their recent origin, buried temple of Ipsambul, dried carcasses in the sands, towns overwhelmed by sand floods, embedding of organic and other remains in volcanic formations on the land. Division of the Subject The next subject of inquiry is the mode in which the remains of animals and plants become fossil, or are buried in the earth by natural causes. Mr. Constant Provost has observed that the effects of geological causes are divisible in two great classes, those produced during the submersion of land beneath the waters, and those which take place after its immersion. Agreeably to this classification, I shall consider, first, in what manner animal and vegetable remains become included and preserved in deposits on emerged land, or that part of the surface which is not permanently covered by water, whether of seas or lakes. Secondly, the manner in which organic remains become embedded in subaqueous deposits. Under the first division, I shall treat of the following topics. First, the growth of peat, and the preservation of vegetable and animal remains therein. Secondly, the burying of organic remains in blown sand. Thirdly, of the same in the ejections and alluviums of volcanoes. Fourthly, in alluviums generally, and in the ruins of landslips. Fifthly, in the mud and stalagmite of caves and fissures. Growth of peat and preservation of vegetable and animal remains therein. The generation of peat, when not completely under water, is confined to moist situations where the temperature is low and where vegetables may decompose without putrefying. It may consist of any of the numerous plants which are capable of growing in such stations, but a species of moss, sphagnum, constitutes a considerable part of the peat found in marshes of the north of Europe, this plant having the property of throwing up new shoots in its upper part, while its lower extremities are decaying. Reeds, rushes, and other aquatic plants may usually be traced in peat, and their organization is often so entire that there is no difficulty in discriminating the distinct species. Analysis of peat. In general, says Sir H. Davy, 100 parts of dry peat contain from 60 to 99 parts of matter destructible by fire, 
and the residuum consists of earths usually of the same kind as the substratum of clay marl gravel or rock on which they are found together with oxide of iron the peat of the chalk counties of england observes the same writer contains much gypsum but i have found very little in any specimens from ireland or scotland and in general these peats contain very little saline matter from the researches of dr mcculloch it appears that peat is intermediate between simple vegetable matter and lignite the conversion of peat to lignite being gradual and being brought about by a prolonged action of water peat abundant in cold and humid climates peat is sometimes formed on a declivity in mountainous regions where there is much moisture but in such situations it rarely if ever exceeds four feet in thickness in bogs and in low grounds into which alluvial peat is drifted it is found forty feet thick and upwards but in such cases it generally owes one half of its volume to the water which it contains it has seldom if ever been discovered within the tropics and it rarely occurs in the valleys even in the south of france and spain it abounds more and more in proportion as we advance farther from the equator and becomes not only more frequent but more inflammable in northern latitudes the same phenomenon is repeated in the southern hemisphere no peat is found in brazil nor even in the swampy parts of the country drained by the la plata on the east side of south america or in the island of chiloe on the west yet when we reach the forty-fifth degree of latitude and examine the chonos archipelago or the falkland islands and tierra del fuego we meet with an abundant growth of this substance almost all plants contribute here by their decay to the production of peat even the grasses but it is a singular fact says mr darwin as contrasted with what occurs in europe that no kind of moss enters into the composition of the south american peat which is formed by many plants but chiefly by that called by brown estelia pumila i learned from dr forchammer eighteen forty nine that water charged with vegetable matter in solution does not throw down a deposit of peat in countries where the mean temperatures of the year is above forty three or forty four degrees fahrenheit frost causes the precipitation of such peaty matter but in warm climates the attraction of the carbon for the oxygen of the air mechanically mixed with the water increases with the increasing temperature and the dissolved vegetable matter or humic acid which is organic matter in a progressive state of decomposition being converted into carbonic acid rises and is absorbed into the atmosphere and thus disappears extent of surface covered by peat there is a vast extent of surface in europe covered with peat which in ireland is said to extend over a tenth of the whole island one of the mosses on the shannon is described as being fifty miles long by two or three broad and the great marsh of Montiori near the mouth of the Lorry is mentioned by Blavier as being more than fifty leagues in circumference. It is a curious and well-ascertained fact 
that many of these mosses of the north of europe occupy the place of forests of pine and oak which have many of them disappeared within the historical era such changes are brought about by the fall of trees and the stagnation of water caused by their trunks and branches obstructing the free drainage of the atmospheric waters and giving rise to a marsh in warm climate such decayed timber would immediately be removed by insects or by putrefaction but in the cold temperature now prevailing in our latitudes many examples are recorded of marshes originating in this source thus in mar forest in aberdeenshire large trunks of scotch fir which had fallen from age and decay were soon immured in peat formed partly out of their perishing leaves and branches and in part from the growth of other plants we also learn that the overthrow of a forest by a storm about the middle of the seventeenth century gave rise to a peat moss near lochbroom in rossshire where in less than half a century after the fall of the trees the inhabitants dug peat dr walker mentions a similar change when in the year 1756 the whole wood of Dromlerig in Dumfrieshire was overset by the wind. Such events explain the occurrence, both in Britain and on the continent, of mosses, where the trees are all broken within two or three feet of the original surface, and where their trunks all lie in the same direction. It may, however, be suggested in these cases that the soil had become exhausted for trees, and that on the principle of that natural rotation which prevails in the vegetable world one set of plants died out and another succeeded it is certainly a remarkable fact that in the danish islands and in jutland and holstein fir wood of various species especially scotch fir is found at the bottom of the peat mosses although it is well ascertained that for the last five centuries no coniferae have grown wild in these countries the coniferous trees which now flourish there having been all planted toward the close of the last century nothing is more common than the occurrence of buried trees at the bottom of the irish peat mosses as also in most of those of england france and holland and they have been so often observed with parts of their trunks standing erect and with their roots fixed to the subsoil, that no doubt can be entertained of their having generally grown on the spot. They consist, for the most part, of the fir, the oak, and the birch, where the subsoil is clay. The remains of oak are the most abundant. Where sand is the substratum, fir prevails. In the marsh of Kura, in the Isle of Man, vast trees are discovered standing firm on their roots though at the depth of eighteen or twenty feet below the surface some naturalists have desired to refer the embedding of timber and peat mosses to aqueous transportation since rivers are well known to float wood into lakes but the facts above mentioned show that in numerous instances such a hypothesis is inadmissible it has moreover been observed that in scotland as also in many parts of the continent the largest trees are found in those peat mosses which lie in the least elevated regions and that the trees are proportionately smaller in those which lie at higher levels from which fact de luc 
and Walker have both inferred that the trees grow on the spot, for they would naturally attain a greater size in lower and warmer levels. The leaves also, and fruits of each species, are continually found immersed in the moss along with the parent trees, as, for example, the leaves and acorns of the oak, the cones and leaves of the fir, and the nuts of the hazel. Recent Origin of Some Peat Mosses In Hatfield Moss, in Yorkshire, which appears clearly to have been a forest 1,800 years ago, Fir trees have been found ninety feet long, and sold for masts and keels of ships. Oaks have also been discovered there above one hundred feet long. The dimensions of an oak from this moss are given in the Philosophical Transactions number 275, which must have been larger than any tree now existing in the British dominions. In this same moss of Hatfield, as well as in that of Kincardine in Scotland, and several others. Roman roads have been found covered to the depth of eight feet by peat. All the coins, axes, arms, and other utensils found in British and French mosses are also Roman, so that a considerable portion of the peat in European peat bogs is evidently not more ancient than the age of Julius Caesar. Nor can any vestiges of the ancient forests described by that general along the lines of the great roman way in britain be discovered except in the ruined trunks of trees and peat de look ascertained that the very sites of the aboriginal forests of hercinia simana ardanes and several others are now occupied by mosses and fens and a great part of these changes have with much probability been attributed to the strict orders given by Severus and other emperors to destroy all the wood in the conquered provinces. Several of the British forests, however, which are now mosses, were cut at different periods by order of the English Parliament because they harbored wolves or outlaws. Thus the Welsh woods were cut and burned in the reign of Edward I, as were many of those in Ireland by Henry II to prevent the natives from harboring in them and harassing his troops. It is curious to reflect that considerable tracts have by these accidents been permanently sterilized, and that during a period when civilization has been making great progress, large areas in Europe have by human agency been rendered less capable of administering to the wants of man. Rennie observes, with truth, that in those regions alone which the Roman eagle never reached, in the remote circles of the German Empire, in Poland and Prussia, and still more in Norway, Sweden, and the vast empire of Russia, can we see what Europe was before it yielded to the power of Rome. Desolation now reigns where stately forests of pine and oak once flourished, such as might now have supplied all the navies of Europe with timber, Sources of Bog Iron Ore At the bottom of peat mosses, there is sometimes found a cake, or pan, as it is termed, of oxide of iron, and the frequency of bog iron ore is familiar to the mineralogist. The oak, which is so often dyed black in peat, 
owes its color to the same metal. From what source the iron is derived has often been a subject of discussion, until the discoveries of Ehrenberg seem at length to have removed the difficulty. He had observed, in the marshes about Berlin, a substance of a deep ochre yellow passing into red, which covered the bottom of the ditches, and which, where it had become dry after the evaporation of water, appeared exactly like oxide of iron. But under the microscope it was found to consist of slender articulated threads or plates, partly siliceous and partly ferruginous, of what he considered an animalcule, Gallionella ferruginea, but which most naturalists now regard as a plant. There can be little doubt, therefore, that bog iron ore consists of an aggregate of millions of these organic bodies invisible to the naked eye. Preservation of Animal Substances in Peat One interesting circumstance attending the history of peat mosses is the high state of preservation of animal substances buried in them for periods of many years. In June 1747, the body of a woman was found six feet deep in a peat moor in the Isle of Axholm in Lincolnshire. The antique sandals on her feet afforded evidence of her having been buried there for many ages. Yet her nails, hair, and skin are described as having shown hardly any marks of decay. On the estate of the Earl of Moira in Ireland, a human body was dug up, a foot deep in gravel, covered with eleven feet of moss. The body was completely clothed, and the garments seemed all to be made of hair. Before the use of wool was known in that country, the clothing of the inhabitants was made of hair, so that it would appear that this body had been buried at the early period. Yet it was fresh and unimpaired. In the Philosophical Transactions we find an example recorded of the bodies of two persons having been buried in moist peat, in Derbyshire in 1674, about a yard deep, which were examined twenty-eight years and nine months afterward. The colors of their skin was fair and natural, the flesh soft as that of persons newly dead. Among other analogous facts, we may mention that in digging a pit for a well near Dulverton in Somersetshire, many pigs were found in various postures still entire. Their shape was well preserved, the skin which retained the hair having assumed a dry, membranous appearance. Their whole substance was converted into a white, friable, laminated, inodorous, and tasteless substance but which, when exposed to heat, emitted an odor precisely similar to broiled bacon. Cause of the Antiseptic Property of Peat We naturally ask whence peat derives this antiseptic property. It has been attributed by some to the carbonic and gallic acids which issued from decayed wood, as also to the presence of charred wood in the lowest strata of many peat mosses. For charcoal is a powerful antiseptic, and capable of purifying water already putrid. Vegetable gums and resins also may operate in the same way. The tannin occasionally present in peat 
is the produce, says Dr. McCulloch, of tormentilla and some other plants, but the quantity he thinks too small and its occurrence too casual to give rise to effects of any importance. He hints that the soft parts of animal bodies preserved in peat bogs may have been converted into adiposera by the action of water merely, an explanation which appears clearly applicable to some of the cases above enumerated. Miring of quadrupeds. The manner, however, in which peat contributes to preserve for indefinite periods the hotter parts of terrestrial animals is a subject of more immediate interest to the geologist. There are two ways in which animals become occasionally buried in the peat of marshy grounds. They either sink down into the semi-fluid mud underlying a turfy surface upon which they have rashly ventured, or at other times, as we shall see in the sequel, a bog bursts and animals may be involved in the peaty alluvium. In the extensive bogs of Newfoundland, cattle are sometimes found buried with only their heads and necks above ground, and after having remained for days in this situation, they have been drawn out by ropes and saved. In Scotland, also, cattle venturing on the quaking moss are often mired, or laired, as it is termed, and in Ireland, Mr. King asserts that the number of cattle which are lost in sloughs is quite incredible. Solway Moss The description given of the Solway Moss will serve to illustrate the general character of these boggy grounds. That moss, observes Gilpin, is a flat area, about seven miles in circumference, situated on the western confines of England and Scotland. Its surface is covered with a grass and rushes, presenting a dry crust and a fair appearance, but it shakes under the least pressure, the bottom being unsound and semi-fluid. The adventurous passenger, therefore, who sometimes in dry seasons traverses this perilous waste to save a few miles, picks his cautious way over the rushy tussocks as they appear before him, for here the soil is firmest. If his foot slip, or if he venture to desert this mark of security, it is possible he may never more be heard of. At the Battle of Solway in the time of Henry the Eighth, fifteen forty two, when the Scotch army, commanded by Oliver Sinclair, was routed, an unfortunate troop of horse, driven by their fears, plunged into this morass which instantly closed upon them. The tale was traditional, but it is now authenticated, a man and horse in complete armor having been found by peat diggers in the place where it was always supposed the affair had happened. The skeleton of each was well preserved, and the different parts of the armor easily distinguished. The same moss, on the 16th of December, 1772, having been filled like a great sponge with water during heavy rains, swelled to an unusual height above the surrounding country and then burst. The turfy covering seemed for a time to act like the skin of a bladder retaining the fluid within till it forced a passage for itself, when a stream of black, half-consolidated mud began at first to creep over the plain 
resembling in the rate of its progress an ordinary lava current no lives were lost but the deluge totally overwhelmed some cottages and covered four hundred acres the highest parts of that original moss subsided to the depth of about twenty-five feet and the height of the moss on the lowest parts of the country which it invaded was at least fifteen feet bursting of a peat moss in ireland a recent inundation in sligo january eighteen thirty one affords another example of this phenomenon after a sudden thaw of snow the bog between bloomfield and giva gave way and a black deluge carrying with it the contents of a hundred acres of bog took the direction of a small stream and rolled on with the violence of a torrent sweeping along heath timber mud and stones and overwhelming many meadows and arable land on passing through some boggy land the flood swept out a wide and deep ravine and part of the road leading from bloomfield to st james well was completely carried away from below the foundation for the breadth of two hundred yards great dismal swamp i have described in my travels in north america an extensive swamp or morass forty miles long from north to south and twenty-five wide between the towns of norfolk in virginia and weldon in north carolina it is called the great dismal and has somewhat the appearance of an inundated river plain covered with aquatic trees and shrubs the soil being as black as that of a peat bog it is higher on all sides except one than the surrounding country towards which it sends forth streams of water to the north east and south receiving a supply from the west only in its centre it rises twelve feet above the flat region which bounds it the soil to the depth of fifteen feet is formed of vegetable matter without any admixture of earthy particles and offers an exception to general rule before alluded to namely that such peaty accumulations scarcely ever occur so far south as latitude thirty six degrees or in any region where the summer heat is so great as in virginia in digging canals through the morass for the purpose of obtaining timber much of the black soil has been thrown out from time to time and exposed to the sun and air in which case it soon rots away so that nothing remains behind showing clearly that it owes its preservation to the shade afforded by a luxuriant vegetation and to the constant evaporation of the spongy soil by which the air is cooled during the hot months the surface of the bog is carpeted with mosses and densely covered with ferns and reeds above which many evergreen shrubs and trees flourish especially the white cedar cupressus thyodes which stands firmly supported by its long tap roots in the softest parts of the quagmire over the whole the deciduous cypress taxodium disticum is seen to tower with its spreading top in full leaf in the season when the sun's rays are hottest and when if not intercepted by a screen of foliage they might soon cause the fallen leaves and dead plants of the preceding autumn to decompose instead of adding their contributions to the peaty mass 
on the surface of the wide morass lie innumerable trunks of large and tall trees while thousands of others blown down by the winds are buried at various depths in the black mire below they remind the geologist of the prostrate position of large stems of siglaria and lepidodendron converted into coal in ancient carboniferous rocks bones of herbivorous quadrupeds in peat the antlers of large and full-grown stags are amongst the most common and conspicuous remains of animals in peat they are not horns which have been shed for portions of the skull are found attached proving that the whole animal perished bones of the ox hog horse sheep and other herbivorous animals also occur mr morin had discovered in the peat of flanders the bones of otters and beavers but no remains have been met with belonging to those extinct quadrupeds of which the living cogeners inhabit warmer latitudes such as the elephant rhinoceros hippopotamus hyena and tiger though these are so common in superficial deposits of silt mud and sand or stalactite in various districts throughout great britain their absence seems to imply that they had ceased to live before the atmosphere of this part of the world acquired that cold and humid character which favors the growth of peat remains of ships etc in peat mosses from the facts before mentioned that mosses occasionally burst and descend in a fluid state to lower levels it will readily be seen that lakes and arms of the sea may occasionally become the receptacles of drift peat of this accordingly there are numerous examples and hence the alternations of clay and sand with different deposits of peat so frequent on some coasts as on those of the baltic and german ocean we are informed by de Gure that remains of ships nautical instruments and oars have been found in many of the dutch mosses and gerard in the history of the valley of the somme mentions that in the lowest tier of that moss was found a boat loaded with bricks proving that these mosses were at one period navigable lakes and arms of the sea as were also many mosses on the coast of picardy zealand and friesland from which soda and salt are procured the canoes stone hatchets and stone arrow heads found in peat in different parts of great britain lead to similar conclusions embedding of human and other remains and works of art in blown sand the drifting of sand may next be considered among the causes capable of preserving organic remains and works of art on the emerged land african sands the sands of the african deserts have been driven by the west winds over part of the arable land of egypt on the western bank of the nile in those places where valleys open into the plain or where there are gorges through the libyan mountains by similar sand drifts the ruins of ancient cities have been buried between the temple of jupiter ammon and nubia 
Mr. G. A. DeLuke attempted to infer the recent origin of our continents from the fact that these moving sands have arrived only in modern times at the fertile plains of the Nile. The same scourge, he said, would have afflicted Egypt for ages, anterior to the times of history, had the continents risen above the level of the sea several hundred centuries before our era. But the author proceeded in this, as in all his other chronological computations, on a multitude of gratuitous assumptions. He ought, in the first place, to have demonstrated that the whole continent of Africa was raised above the level of the sea at one period, for until this point was established, the region from whence the sands began to move might have been the last addition made to Africa, and the commencement of the sand flood might have been long posterior to the laying dry of a greater portion of that continent. That the different parts of Europe were not all elevated at one time is now generally admitted. De Luc should have also pointed out the depth of drift sand in various parts of the great Libyan deserts, and have shown whether any valleys of large dimension had been filled up, how long these may have arrested the progress of the sands, and how far the flood had upon the whole advanced since the times of history. We have seen that Sir J. G. Wilkinson, is of opinion that while the sand drift is making aggressions at certain points upon the fertile soil of Egypt, the alluvial deposit of the Nile is advancing very generally upon the desert, and that upon the whole the balance is greatly in favor of the fertilizing mud. No mode of interment can be conceived more favorable to the conservation of monuments for indefinite periods than that now so common in the region immediately westward of the Nile. The sand which surrounded and filled the great temple of Ipsimbol, first discovered by Burckhardt, and afterwards partially uncovered by Belzoni and Beechey, was so fine as to resemble a fluid when put in motion. Neither the features of the colossal figures, nor the color of the stucco with which some were covered, nor the paintings on the walls, had received any injury from being enveloped for ages in this dry, impalpable dust. At some future period, perhaps when the pyramids shall have perished, the action of the sea, or an earthquake, may lay open to the day some of these buried temples, or we may suppose the desert to remain undisturbed, and changes in the surrounding sea and land to modify the climate and the direction of the prevailing winds, so that these may then waft away the Libyan sands as gradually as they once brought them to those regions. Thus many a town and temple of higher antiquity than Thebes or Memphis may reappear in their original antiquity, and a part of the gloom which overhangs the history of the earlier nations be dispelled. Whole caravans are said to have been overwhelmed by the Libyan sands, and Burckhardt informs us that after passing the Akaba near the head of the Red Sea, the bones of dead camels are the only guides of the pilgrim through the wastes of sand. We did not see, says Captain Lyon, speaking of a plain near the Suda Mountains in North Africa, the least appearance of vegetation, but observed many skeletons of animals which had died of fatigue on the desert, and occasionally the grave of some human being, 
all these bodies were so dried by the heat of the sun that putrefaction appears not to have taken place after death in recent expired animals i could not perceive the slightest offensive smell and in those long dead the skin with the hair on it remained unbroken and perfect although so brittle as to break with a slight blow the sand winds never cause these carcasses to change their places for in a short time a slight mound is formed round them and they become stationary towns overwhelmed by sand floods the burying of several towns and villages in england france and jutland by blown sand is on record thus for example near saint paul de Lyon in brittany a whole village was completely buried beneath drift sand so that nothing was seen but the spire of a church in jutland marine shells adhering to seaweed are sometimes blown by the violence of the wind to the height of a hundred feet and buried in similar hills of sand in suffolk in the year sixteen eighty eight part of downham was overwhelmed by sands which had broken loose about a hundred years before from a warren five miles to the southwest this sand had in the course of a century travelled five miles and covered more than a thousand acres of land a considerable tract of cultivated land on the north coast of cornwall has been inundated by drift sand forming hills several hundred feet above the level of the sea and composed of comminuted marine shells in which some terrestrial shells are enclosed entire by the shifting of these sands the ruins of ancient buildings have been discovered and in some cases where wells had been bored to a great depth distinct strata separated by a vegetable crust are visible in some places as at Nuke, large masses have become sufficiently indurated to be used for architectural purposes the lapidification which is still in progress appears to be due to oxide of iron held in solution by the water which percolates the sand embedding of organic and other remains in volcanic formations on the land i have in some degree anticipated the subject of this section in former chapters when speaking of the buried cities around naples and those on the flanks of etna from the facts referred to it appeared that the preservation of human remains and works of art is frequently due to the descent of floods caused by the copious rains which accompany eruptions these aqueous lavas as they are called in campania flow with great rapidity and in eighteen twenty two surprised and suffocated as was stated seven persons in the village of st sebastian and damasa on the flanks of vesuvius in the tufts moreover or solidified mud deposited by these aqueous lavas impressions of leaves and of trees have been observed some of those formed after the eruption of vesuvius in eighteen twenty two are now preserved in the museum at naples lava itself may become indirectly the means of preserving terrestrial remains by overflowing beds of ash pumice and ejected matter which may have been showered down upon animals and plants or upon human remains few substances are better non-conductors of heat than volcanic dust and scoriae so that a bed of such materials is rarely melted by a superimposed lava current 
after consolidation, the lava affords secure protection to the lighter and more removable mass below, in which the organic relics may be enveloped. The Herculean tufts, containing the rolls of papyrus, of which the characters are still legible, have, as was before remarked, been for ages covered by lava. Another mode by which lava may tend to the conservation of embedded remains, at least of works of human art, is by its overflowing them, when it is not intensely heated, in which case they sometimes suffer little or no injury. Thus, when the Etnian lava current of 1669 covered fourteen towns and villages and part of the city of Catania, it did not melt down a great number of statues and other articles in the vaults of Catania, and at depth of thirty-five feet in the same current, on the site of Montpellier, one of the buried towns, the bell of a church and some statues were found uninjured. We read of several buried cities in central India, and among others of Uijian or Ujian, which about fifty years before the Christian era was the seat of empire, of art, and of learning, but which in the time of Raja Vikramaditya was overwhelmed, according to tradition, together with more than eighty other large towns in the provinces of Malwa and Bagur, by a shower of earth. The city which now bears the name is situated a mile to the southward of the ancient town. On digging on the spot where the latter is supposed to have stood, to the depth of fifteen or eighteen feet, there are frequently discovered, says Mr. Hunter, entire brick walls, pillars of stone, and pieces of wood of an extraordinary hardness, besides utensils of various kinds, ancient coins, and occasionally buried wheat in a state resembling charcoal. The soil which covers Uijian is described as being of an ash-gray color with minute specks of black sand, and the shower of earth, said to have fallen from heaven, has been attributed by some travelers to volcanic agency. There are, however, no active volcanoes in central India, the nearest to Oegean being Denidor Hill, near Bouge, the capital of Kutch, three hundred geographical miles distant. If indeed that hill has ever poured out lava in historical times, which is doubted by many. The latest writers on Oegean avow their suspicion that the supposed catastrophe was nothing more than the political decline and final abandonment of a grey city which like nineveh or babylon and many an ancient seat of empire in the east after losing its importance as a metropolis became a heap of ruins the rapidity with which the sun-dried bricks of which even the most splendid oriental palaces are often constructed crumbled down when exposed to rain and sun and are converted into mounds of ordinary earth and clay, is well known. According to Captain Dangerfield, trap tuff and columnar basalt constitute the rocks in the environs of Oegean, and the volcanic nature of these formations, from which the materials of the bricks were originally derived, may have led to the idea of the city having been overwhelmed by a volcanic eruption. End of chapter 45 End of section 97